Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. O gracious Heavenly Father, we live in a day and an age where to hear how good we are or even to hear that all we need is a pat on the back and we'll make it is so common. And yet as we come to look at this passage in in Luke, Jesus doesn't pat Adam on the back. He doesn't pat the old man on the back and say it'll be alright. No, Father, he calls sinful men and women to repentance in his name and towards you. Father, may you bring your gospel through clearly today. May your grace sound forth, we pray. Have mercy on me in my weaknesses. Have mercy on our hearing and the way we hear. And Father, teach us the way of faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Lent week three, we see that Jesus is journeying to the cross and that's our theme. But our theme for the day is repent or perish. How do you reckon those words would go today? If Jesus was on a radio station and he was being interviewed and he turned around and said, well look, if you don't repent, you're just going to simply perish. Surely he'd be on the news the next day for not being politically correct. Would that be right? There'd be something going on. This man, how dare he say this? How dare any man tell us that if we don't repent, we perish? That could be our attitude. We could be on the other end of that hearing and we could say, how dare Jesus Christ speak that way to even me? But he does speak that way, which means you have to deal with him and you have to deal with the Father and you have to deal with the Gospel the way it comes to you. Not the way in which we try to make it come to us, but we have to deal with things the way God comes to us. And today we're going to see that God comes to us with the gracious gift of repentance. So as we journey through Luke, Luke has this special eye, really, on the nature of self-righteousness. In particular, he has an eye on the way in which the Jews are actually hindered from the way of salvation by the law. The Jews are being hindered from the way of salvation because of their imagined goodness. Can you imagine not being saved, not coming to Christ because you're good? Well, actually that is what happens. The imagined goodness of people is the very thing that prevents them from the need of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So we'll see next week that we're going to look at the prodigal son story but Luke also shares about the Pharisee and the tax collector. So at every point he's highlighting that those who think they're going to get into the kingdom because they're good are out. And those who are sinners and in need of forgiveness are in. But in this account Luke records Jesus' teaching from just a slightly different angle we see that Jesus does not allow any room for negotiation between man and God when it comes to understanding the way of salvation. There's no negotiating. Jesus is not leaving any room 
for sinful man to be able to make it in the kingdom of God. When I first got saved, I had a painful conversion. And if it wasn't for the writings of Martin Luther, I probably wouldn't have understood what happened to me. If you were to say, Chris, why are you a person who is a Lutheran theologian? Well, I was a man who, under the law of God, under the wrath of God, was exposed to the depravity of my sin. So exposed in the depravity of my sin that I was in hopelessness, in a place of depression, in a place where God's wrath was upon me and I got to a place and I just couldn't make it. And at that time when I couldn't make it, the revelation that came to me was, Chris, you don't have to make it. The good news is this, it's not up to you. What a wonderful thing. And that's, that's what we hold here, isn't it? The truth is, is that the law of God works wrath. And so when you think you're going to make it by the law, the law just kills you. And the wrath of God comes upon you and shuts you up so that you have nothing but faith in Jesus Christ. And at that point I went out into the streets of Parramatta, which is in Western Sydney, very violent place now but I used to go there with a church and we would share the gospel, we would evangelise people with tracts and speak to them and you had Muslims you had uh, Seventh Day Adventists, you had Hare Krishnas, you had the Orange people you had every religion that you could imagine out there and I had conversation after conversation for about four years with prostitutes, with homeless people, with people who were down and out And those conversations went deep and they went wide. And I would say to them, look, your only answer is this. God in Jesus Christ has reconciled you. Your sins are forgiven and God gives you eternal life by free saving grace. Come in and just experience that eternal life. And I kid you not, nine out of ten people said to me in their down and outness, I honestly believe in God. I honestly do, they said. But I honestly believe that he will let me in to heaven because I actually haven't been as bad as other people. And relatively, I am still not that bad. How can nine out of ten people say that? And that can't be apart from any one of us in this room today myself included. There is something in that old sinful man that insists, insists that it has still got the capacity to do something for God and achieve something. Jesus says this, repent or perish. What capacity does he give? None. Repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ or you perish in your sinfulness. But these people that Jesus was talking to, you will, re- you will perish in your imagined goodness because that's your sinfulness. Your sinfulness is the good that you think you're doing. 
Luther says this, that outside of Jesus Christ, when we try to offer God our good works, outside of grace, we're offering him sin. Fancy that. So Jesus gives us no middle ground by which we can stand upon apart from Christ. Now the content, the context of Jesus saying these words has to do with the way certain people have died under extreme suffering. Have you ever looked at someone or a, or a nation and they've gone through something really bad and have you ever thought in your heart, geez, they must have been wicked? Why did I put my hand up? Because I've thought that way. They must have been real, they must have been into witchcraft or something. And that's how people were perceiving the suffering. Jesus says these words. There were some present at that very time that told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with sacrifices. So, these people came down to make sacrifices. Pilate kills them and then gets their blood and mingles them with sacrifices. Pretty awful, isn't it? Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. There's a ruler there and there's a cross. You either live by the cross of Jesus Christ or you measure yourself by some law and you live by measurements. See, Jesus makes it clear that those who died and suffered were not worse sinners than any one of us in this room or any one of the people that he was talking to in that day. Now, when you live by measurements, when you live by a law or you live by a ruler, you'll find this. You'll find that you compare yourself I will compare myself with other people. So we will have a standard of living and that standard of living will be by some kind of rule and what will happen at the end of the day, the measurements will come out and what will your measurement be and what will my measurement be? They over there are worse sinners than me. What does the cross say? You're all in the same boat. Now that don't I'm not taking this lightly because you could think I have been coming to church for thirty years. You could say that. You could say I have been in the church for thirty years. You could say I have not murdered. I've heard people say I haven't robbed a bank. I haven't committed adultery. But I've been slaving God for so long, all these years for you, 
God, look how hard I've been working. I'm a slave to you. Next week's story. Oh, look at this son of yours. He squandered his inheritance with prostitutes and alcohol and he parted. Look at that son of yours. Or I thank God that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. I, me, I, me, I, me. It's about me. I will make it. God will save me because of me. You hear that? I, I, me, me. God looked on me and when He looked on me, He saw something in me and I was worth saving. He just saw something in me that was just just good and then He bowed down to that little bit of goodness in me and He saved me. I tell you what, this hits home with us, doesn't it? Because this is exactly the struggle that we have. We struggle with living from the cross of Jesus Christ. And soon as we stop living from the cross of Jesus Christ, we have a ruler in our right pocket and it comes out and we begin the measurements. And I can tell you that when you live by a ruler, your face is hard like flints. Your heart is cold and there's no joy, and there's no peace, and there's no love. Because as Jesus said, there's no what? There's no fruit on the tree. Because you're comparing yourself with other people. That was what my conversion was about. The most self-righteous, hypocritical, self-justifying man is standing here before you today. I actually loved the fact that the Holy Spirit came to me and said, you are a depraved man. But he didn't leave me there. You are a depraved man whom I have met in the cross of Jesus Christ. And let me just explain that depravity away. Do you remember in the floods, about eight years ago when the floods hit Brisbane? Was it about eight years ago? And they really did some damage, didn't they? They went through and they knocked out houses and and Brisbane was a mess. Do you remember what the community in Brisbane did? They actually got together and they went out and they helped each other. They really did. They cleaned each other's houses out. They dried them out. And at that point we saw something of God's image being reflected there. And it really was. But after they did that, after they did that amazing massive work, the very next day they had a celebration and they had a celebration for themselves and everybody got thanked and everybody got praised but there was one person who never got thanked and there was one person who never got praised. Who do you reckon that was? It was God. Because at the end of the day, the works that they did led to what? To them being praised and not God. That's what depravity is. Depravity is taking all the glory from God and claiming it for yourself. And Jesus' message is clear. Either it is repentance towards God, a turning away from trying to make it, which is what sin is, 
and placing our trust in Jesus Christ or we perish in our sins. Now, repentance is the revelation that comes to us. This is very important. Repentance is the revelation that comes to us in the message of the Gospel where we hear that we can't actually make it. Repentance comes to you when you hear that you can't make it and what happens when you hear that you can't make it? You hear the good news of the Gospel, you hear that God has made it for you in Jesus Christ and then in repentance what do you do? You turn to God and you say, thank you God that you've made it for me. And you trust in Him and you've turned away from striving to make it. And some of you are sad today at the good news because the good news is for bad men and it's bad news for good men. And some of you are feeling the bad news because it tells you that you can't make it. Now, repentance that Jesus is talking about is once for all. It's a change of attitude. It's a change of mind regarding your sinful efforts and and regarding faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So, what do you say to someone who has a bad attitude? You say, repent, don't you? You've got a bad attitude, repent. Repentance gives you a new attitude. It gives you an attitude to God's grace that you never had before. It turns your mind and your heart to Him. And you're still a sinner, but you're actually one who is actually now a sinner who's been forgiven, who's actually been humbled. And rather than trying to deal with your sin and your guilt through your own actions, You don't try that anymore. You actually leave the way in which Jesus has dealt with your sin at the cross and you actually accept the way in which God has dealt with it. So you don't have to actually be managing your life anymore. God in Christ manages your life. Luther says this, The law says do this and it is never done. Grace says believe this, it is already done. The law says do this and it is never done. Grace says believe this, it is already done. So, in repentance and faith, the attitude of our heart is changed and we begin to live in the beauty of the Father's forgiveness in Jesus Christ and then we begin to bear the fruit which we'll see at the end. Now, as soon as you look to something, brothers and sisters, more than Jesus for your acceptance with God, I'll say that again. As soon as you're looking to something more than Jesus for your acceptance with God, you are being disobedient to the Gospel. What is disobedience? Disobedience 
is to look to anything else but Jesus Christ who puts you in right relationship with God the Father. So obedience to the Gospel is to believe that God has placed you in right relationship with Him through the work of the cross by faith apart from any works you do. That's what obedience to the Gospel is. So when you obey the Gospel, you believe that God has placed you in right relationship with Himself apart from any works you ever do. Now, as soon as you begin to trust and rely on your works, at any point that you begin to trust in your obedience to in any way, shape or form earn any favour with God, you place yourself under the curse of the law. Can you see that obedience to the Gospel is life or death? Cursed is everyone who is relying on works of the law to be justified before God. So what's the judgement for trying to get right with God through your works? There's no peace in your conscience. There's no assurance of God's love. And in fact, everything is really heavy and everything is really hard and you're actually under the curse of the law. For no one can be justified before God through works of the law. See, when we are looking to something more than Jesus for our acceptance with God, the tree that Jesus talked about that had no fruit on it is this. There's no peace, there's no joy, there's no love, there's no gentleness, there's no kindness, there's no self-control, there's no faithfulness. Now everything I've named there is the fruit of the Spirit. Luther says this, every sin is rooted in the excessive lust for something which comes because we are trusting in that thing rather than in Christ for our righteousness or salvation. It's a really wonderful quote, isn't it? Every sin is rooted in the excessive lust for something which comes because we're trusting in that thing rather than in Christ for our righteousness and salvation. We sin because we are looking to something else to give us what only Jesus can give us. Beneath any particular sin is the general sin of rejecting Christ's salvation and attempting our own salvation. Now as I conclude, our battle together, my battle and your battle is this. As Christians, it is a real battle to believe that through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone, we will live a fruit Build life in the Holy Spirit. See, once you've turned to God in faith, once you've turned to Him in repentance, once you've given up on yourself, you actually then begin to bear all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Simply in repentance and simply in faith, you've given up on the old and you begin to live in the new. God in Jesus Christ 
the Father's face is always shining upon us in Jesus Christ. Always shining upon us and he is always well pleased with us even when we sin. How are we going with that? How's grace working now? Interesting, isn't it? Is he really well pleased with me when I sin? What has he done with your sin? Has he removed it as far as the east is from the west through Jesus Christ? So what's the answer to your sin? God's grace, God's favour, God's face shining upon you in Jesus Christ. Now how many of us really believe that God's favour and God's grace and God's favour is shining upon us all the time in Jesus Christ apart from anything we ever do? Or how do we go when we feel like we haven't pleased him? Are you saved by grace? It's scandalous, isn't it? It's scandalous to say this morning that the Father is well pleased with you all the time because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden when you believe that, the fruit, bang, the fruit, bang, it comes up. Because what happens when you believe that you are right with God apart from works? God is with you and you are joyful. All of a sudden you're joyful. All of a sudden you know he loves you. All of a sudden you know everything's alright between you and God. Because it's not dependent on you. And I think some of our consciences, brothers and sisters, have been tormented under guilt and under law for so, so long that you think the Gospel is about how you perform. I really believe that. Time and time again, despite myself, God has been at work in my life. And I say despite myself because I have been somebody who has moved away from God's grace. And I have. And he comes to me with his very same grace that I've moved away from. Brothers and sisters, there's never a moment where God's favour, brothers and sisters, there's never a moment when God's favour and grace is not shining upon you in Jesus Christ. You have his full favour. You have his full face shining upon you. And if you're still working out your salvation, then that message won't affect you. If you're still working hard to get it. So in our journey with Christ we are saved in a moment by grace but we spend a lifetime learning what it is to walk in his grace, don't we? In our journey with Christ isn't it one of discovering and rediscovering that our relationship with God the Father is not measured by a ruler? Where is that ruler?
in our journey with Christ? Are we not learning that our relationship is measured by a cross? Are we not always learning that the measuring rod of the Father is Christ and Him crucified? It's not a ruler. Brothers and sisters, the Father is not measuring you. He's not measuring you by a ruler. He is measuring you by the cross of His Son, Jesus Christ, a perfect sacrifice for sins and in the eternal resurrection of a new creation, that is His measuring rod for you. May we learn to journey with our Father together in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the beautiful fruit of the Holy Spirit that comes to us as a gift in Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.